I'm Dermot Hussey. Welcome to Riffin Radio, the podcast. It's a collection of interviews with artists from various genres, spanning three decades and giving more context to the music we love. Besides an early connection between jazz and hip-hop in the 70s, rapper Guru's Jazzmatazz recordings of 1994 was the forerunner of a connection exemplified by Branford Marsalis's Buckshot LaFunk. Buckshot LaFunk was also recorded in 1994 and was acclaimed as one of the best examples of the melding of the two styles. I spoke to Branford about the album. What prompted it? What's the rationale? Uh, there's no, no rationale, really. I was in California, and I had a lot of spare time to make a record, but I couldn't tour. And I didn't want to do another jazz record without playing. So I got the idea to start working on this record and just... You know, I was really intrigued by hip-hop and hip-hop music. I actually got the idea in 1989, 1990, working with DJ Premier and Guru in a rap group called Gangstar. We did some music for a Spike Lee movie called Mo' Better Blues. And I, it danced around in my head for a couple of years, and I spent a lot of time listening to records and thinking about what I liked and didn't like. And then, since I was in California with all of that time, I just started putting the record together. So, in fact, how long has... Buckshot been together as a group? Well, we didn't get together as a group until after the record was made. Mm -hmm. So we became a group <clears throat> April of 95. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah, April 95. April 95. The, and the music is more of what? A kind of organic thing where you start out with basic beats and you build upon it. How, how do you approach making music in that context as against the traditional context of making it's music? It's the same as I make, make any kind of music I make. I mean, it's what makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Like Sometimes we start out with a beat, sometimes we start out with a guitar part, sometimes we start out, I mean, and it all just comes together, you know, over a specific period of time. You know, you try a beat that doesn't work, try another one, or you write one and you use machines to play it, or we have a drummer, we use the drummer to play it. It really depends on the sounds more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Some songs, the drummer's more effective. Sometimes you use a combination of both. Mm -hmm. People have been asking questions very often as to whether these things are healthy for the jazz tradition. The fact that jazz is being blended with things like hip-hop and all these kind of other formats are coming up. It tends to confuse purists, but... What about the public at large? Have you been able to test this response through the group? Well, the biggest problem I have is that the public at large, not knowing anything about jazz, wants to hear this and call it jazz. Because it has a beat or a sound that they can identify with, whereas jazz gener generally doesn't. Um, but I don't consider this jazz, so it doesn't really matter to me what, what other people think. I mean, it's something that uh, I have a lot of fun doing, and it's very freeing for me. And... Uh, <coughs> What about the young kids? Have they had a chance to come into the music now? I mean, in terms of promotion, getting out to them. I mean, it's not the kind of music that young kids will like because, you know, 
being a teenager, the only difference between being a teenager and being 36 like I am now is that when I was 15, I was convinced that I knew just as much about life as I do now, except I really didn't. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of the state, the state of being a teenager. Uh, this music is, is, is not really the kind of music that teenagers would generally like or understand because it doesn't really adhere to the rules, you know. We don't wear the same kind of clothes that they wear and we don't use the same kind of lingo that they use. And so much of that has a bearing on whether they like a group or whether they don't like a group. It's like an image thing. Mm. You know, and we don't we don't really deal with the, the image per se. We just kind of play the music. But there are certain identifiable beats that I think they can relate to. But they don't really listen to the music that they themselves say they listen to. <laughs> you know, I mean, you see it across the board. I mean, you know, what makes a heavy metal group a heavy metal group? The clothes they wear, in addition to the sound, mm. and a hip hop group a hip hop group. I mean, you could you could sit on if there was a way that you could sit in front of five music halls and watch people get out of a subway train. I mean, you could tell who was going to what just by the clothes that they wear. Generally, I mean, there's always exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, you know, people at the opera, they wear the suits, you know. People at the jazz clubs, they don't necessarily wear suits, but they dress nice or conservatively, you know. People at the hip-hop shows have the baggy pants and the black boots and the this and the that. <laughs> I mean, it, it ain't my thing, really. I mean, music should be music. Mm. You know, music for its own sake, but... A lot of times people need to have the accessories, the accessories in order to appreciate something. And the majority of the people who are like that are teenagers. How is the record company? What's been their response? They've been fine. The first record they didn't really understand so much. And I think that uh, as a kind of, uh, I wouldn't call it institutional racism, but there is an economic reality to black music and major, major record labels. Um, black groups do not get tour support because most black groups these days don't tour and they don't get tour support and they kind of like throw, throw the, the records at a wall and if it sticks then they put their money over there they don't really have a certain philosophical belief in any of the groups and that was one of the things that I addressed when, when this group first came out so essentially most of the money that I spent on the first tour was my own and uh, the second time around, it's totally different. They're a lot more accommodating and they understand. You know, they're a lot better about the second record. And they, they're in anxious anticipation of its release and they have all these marketing plans. And that's nice. But what I want them to do is give uh, a lot of black groups the same opportunity they give the white groups. I mean, they're groups that Columbia is sponsoring to go on tour right now that no one has ever heard of. And what it is, is it's an investment. It's an investment on future money that those groups will make for them. And when it comes to black music, it doesn't happen. used to happen, doesn't anymore. So uh, one of the things that I'd like to do is see a return to that in general. Have you any reasons as to why it is happening for black groups? For, well, there are no black groups, number one. We have singing groups, but there are no black bands. There are no bands out there. And secondly, uh, the, people, the black people who run black music divisions aren't really lawyers and never really dealt with that. They, at times, dealt more with filling their own coffees with money rather than dealing with any sort of aesthetic plan for the advancement of the music. I see that it is changing around to a degree. But mostly it was just like a big hustlers convention. You know, like there's a thing in the States called Jack the Rapper. It's a big pop music convention. It's like, you know, guys with three-piece suits and gold chains. It's like a hustlers convention. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, you know. On the first album, you 
worked with some Jamaican DJs. Was that because you found that to be something happening in the contemporary culture, or was that just a personal taste? No, it was just something I liked, because it, you, you got to figure, like, at the time when we recorded that record, dancehall was and still is the preferred choice of music when you talk about Jamaica to most people. And these guys weren't dancehall artists, really. Mm-hmm. They were very much into the traditional reggae music, and they wanted to have not a complete return to the roots, but they wanted to have their music rooted in the tradition, and I think that's the thing I liked the most about them. You know, that even though we used samples on it, you know, mm-hmm. it still had the sound, like the th- more of the traditional sound, rather than just that hard, you know, drum beat with the little guitar sample that you repeat over and over again that the, reg- the dance hall guys have. Mm-hmm. The, one of the surprises on the album was Maya Angelou's poem. I know why the caged bird sings. Yeah. Mm. When we first did the track, we didn't know what we were going to do with it. Then I heard her speaking on a te- on television during uh, Bill Clinton's inauguration. I just went, ting, my Angelou. <laughs> She's the one we want. So I called her up, sent her a tape, and she sent me back a, 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 a DAT of her reciting I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Uh, and you just married both of them. Yeah. There's some tracks in there where you, for a moment, Indulge Nigel straight ahead. Um, the Black Widows, uh, the second track on the CD, mm-hmm. um, with Roy Hargrove, mm-hmm. and uh, one called Some More Cola Funk. Some Cow Funk. Some Cow Funk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's just glimmers there for a moment. Yeah. And then, you know, you. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, I have a jazz sensibility, and it's like one of the things we wanted to do was have that little jazz thing in the beginning of it, you know, and have it symmetrically work into the song. It was just one of those, just fun, that's all. It was just one of those things to do. What about the other aspect of your life, which is, I mean, working in the acoustic tradition, so to speak? Mm-hmm. What have you been doing there? Well, we just recorded a new trio album, and it will be released in uh, two weeks. It's called The Dark Keys. And uh, it features Jeff Watts on drums, uh, myself and Reginald Veal on bass. Mm-hmm. And you, mainly original compositions? Um, yeah, six of most of the, even the songs that aren't original compositions aren't standards. There's like song, one song is written by my brother, Delphio. Uh, another song is written by my brother, Winton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another song is a take on uh, the old Cherokee standard, but we didn't play the melody to Cherokee. You worked with the Tonight Orchestra for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of experience was that for a musician, a young musician like yourself? It was nice. Uh, it, was a, it, it wasn't really a, a job that you take when you're thinking about music. You know, I just wanted to... Uh, I just wanted to let you... I wanted to uh, take a little break from jazz for a while take a little break from performance music and uh, do something. You know, one of the things that gave me the opportunity to do is to present a different interpretation of black people to a largely white and conservative Midwestern television audience. Mm. And that was one of the major reasons for taking the job. Okay. You know, and a couple of the guys in the band, you know, they're married and they wanted to live more stable lives. And the other one, like Bob Hurst, he stayed on the show because he really liked he appreciated the lifestyle. The lifestyle was cute. It was nice. And then Steady work, good money. 
But I mean, I always had steady work and good money. I was never one of those guys who didn't have that. I was always working. So it wasn't really an issue for me. I think it's more staying home. Okay. You get the chance to be home. And because uh, traveling is tough. It's tough work. You know, it's, it's a tough thing, traveling all the time. And missing your family. And it's not fun. But uh, it's what I've chosen to do with my life, so I kind of accept it. You still continue to work in other musical idioms as well. I mean, in what is loosely called world music, you work with people like Anjali, Kijo, mm -hmm. um, Yusun Ndo. Mm -hmm. Do you still look forward to that kind of outlet? I just look forward to playing with great musicians. I don't care where they're from. I mean, it's not like there's a whole lot of them. So that's basically what I spend my time concentrating on, playing with great musicians. And uh, if they come from Senegal, great. If they come from, you know, Benin or Jamaica, you know, Ivory Coast, it doesn't really matter to me. Kansas City, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Mississippi, I, I don't care where they're from. Do you find that there's a greater awareness and possibly an acceptance for this kind of music? We're seeing a lot more of that kind of music, which hitherto might have been considered exotic, strange, ethnic. Well, they, I think it's still considered ethnic in America. And uh, I think that it's just good that major record labels, mostly spearheaded by Peter Gabriel, I might add, who's mm -hmm. uh, the singer uh, who used to perform with a group called uh, Genesis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He has his own record label called Real World mm -hmm. Records. And mm -hmm. he, does most, he does a lot of this stuff on his own. You know, and uh, you really have to uh, give him credit. You know, I have to give him credit for that, you know, for doing, for going out of his way, you know, to uh, see that these great musicians get heard and get recorded. And uh, other record labels are simply investing more, more money and time into it. What about young talent um, that you've noticed around in your travels? What are some of the people that have impressed you? Tell you the truth, um, I mean, none, really. I mean, you know, uh, Joshua Redman and James Carter and those guys. Bass uh, player from Philly. Uh, what's his name? He has his own record deal now. Um, Christian McBride. McBride, yes, okay. You know, uh, it really remains to be seen whether they will do what they can to actually push the music in a different direction on whether they'll just continue to play it safe because, I mean, they pretty much have a set thing where they can make the kinds of records they're making for the rest of their lives and be very successful at it and have mm -hmm. a very earnest, make an earnest living, a very good living. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those things, it really depends on, on whether or not they're willing to push the envelope. But uh, they're very talented musicians. They're great musicians. Of your own efforts, you are seeing that you want to move in that direction then, push the music in a been, different direction. We've been doing it for a while, man. Ever since I made this record called Bloomington, Jeff Watts and I, you mm -hmm. know, and we've, we've made essentially a career out of that. You know, when we were playing, when we were younger, I was spending a lot of time imitating a lot of the, um, the greats. But that was, what I, that was what I had to do in order to advance the music in an, on an earnest level. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can just make up some stuff and say that you're pushing the music but not have the uh the, the weight of the tradition as a background to really build on anything mm -hmm. but uh we just did what we had to do in order to put ourselves in a position where we could 
express ourselves and, and, and it has some actual meaning. Right around the time we made that record Bloomington, I realized that we were definitely pushing the music in a way that was uh, unusual. And this record is an extension of that record. Branford, we just listened to a track from the most recent um, CD, the one, in fact, the one that's coming up. What's the essential difference between the first album and this one? Well, in the first album, uh, it was just me sitting in the studio by myself with a DJ premier and an engineer, and we were just making up songs, calling up musicians, asking them if they wanted to play on songs, you know. They had no idea what they were doing, and neither did we really. We were just making it up as we went along. But on this record in particular, we have a band, so we knew the sound that we wanted to achieve. Uh, it makes it a lot easier when you have a working band. We just went in and we knew basically what we wanted to do. Thanks for listening to Riffin Radio with Dermot Hussey. Be sure to like us and subscribe. We put out a podcast a week. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram at R-I-F-F-I-N Radio, Facebook, Dermot Hussey, and check out our YouTube channel, Riffin Radio. <laughs>